when uh, bank robber Willie Sutton was asked why he robs banks, he said, that's where the money is. And here in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 is where the money is. At least that's where we get to talk about giving. Yay! <laughs> the doors are locked, everybody. There's nowhere to go for the next half an hour. Sit tight. We'll make this as painless as possible. We don't like to talk about and bring up finances and giving very often unless it comes up in the Word of God. And here we've got two chapters to really milk and just really pour into for the next couple months now that we'll be here <laughs> in these chapters. But listen, the Bible talks a lot about money and giving, not because God is desperate for money or He wants us broke, but giving becomes a great indicator of where our heart is. What are we trusting in? Are we trusting in our finances, in our resources, or are we trusting in the Lord? And we understand through the Bible, it's very clear that God is a giving God. Aren't you thankful for the generosity of the God that we serve, that God is a giving God? And not only does God want us to see the benefits that we have as we give, the blessings that flow as we give, but he wants us also to see our lives, be able to give him an opportunity to see him provide for us, to see God at work in our, our giving. So here in 2 Corinthians 8, which Pastor Randy started us off in a couple weeks ago, we're looking at this gift. It's an offering that was being collected for the church in Jerusalem. Now, the background of this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If you want to just flip over a couple pages there to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, where we begin to see kind of what was going on and the kind of the background, the context to this gift an offering that we're gonna be talking about in the next number of verses here in 2 Corinthians 8. But first of all, 1 Corinthians 16, starting in verse one says this. Now concerning the collection for the saints as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, Whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, well, they will go with me. So remember, though the church began in Jerusalem as, you know, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's poured out, and now we're seeing the church begin to grow as people were converting from Judaism to follow Christ. Now, as the church started in Jerusalem, we know also that they were the first church to kind of get hit with persecution, with uh, difficulty. A person giving their life to Jesus, especially a Jewish person at this time, would do so at great cost. It would come at the expense of disinheritance by their family, excommunication from their religious community, loss of business. They would be cut off both socially and economically. It was a big deal to step out and say, I am now a follower of Jesus Christ. And so people in Jerusalem, uh, this early church began to really face a lot of trial and, and hardship as a result. And so now we see uh, Christians that were up in Macedonia and in Achaia where Corinth was, we're seeing these Christians hearing about this going, 
well, you know what? We would love to support them. We would love to help them. They've been a blessing in sending out missionaries from Jerusalem to go and evangelize to all these areas that we're in. We would love to be a support to them. So now churches in Macedonia and in Achaia, Corinth here, as Paul is addressing, they were all began to say, we wanna raise some funds. We wanna, we wanna support them and we wanna send them a gift from us. And so that's what we see here in our context in 2 Corinthians chapter eight. But now remember, Paul's been dealing with false apostles that have crept into the church now in Corinth in his absence. They've been trying to delegitimize Paul's ministry. They've been trying to discredit him and bring him into disrepute. Now Paul has to deal with the thought of, okay, well, if I've already got such kind of conflict from these people that are trying to drag me through the mud, how am I gonna get this money from Corinth down to Jerusalem without them thinking I'm just doing it for myself, pocketing the money for myself or stopping at you know, In-N-Out Burger every, every stop I get on the way and spending half the money there? Like, How are they gonna know that I'm being fair and honest and, and integral with this money? So this is what Paul is dealing with in this section of scripture. And he provides for us some great insights into being good stewards of what God has given us. Though much of what we're gonna be looking at here today might seem like just kind of trivial housekeeping matters of this offering, it sheds some light on the importance of managing well what the Lord has given us and what we have to use for the Lord. So look at verse 16 with me, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 16. And here's what we read. But thanks be to God, who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. Verse 20, avoiding this, he says, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift, which is administered by us, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. So first of all, notice we're introduced to Titus and Titus really needs no introduction to us because Titus we've seen throughout Paul's travels. He's a faithful companion and co-laborer with Paul. He was on him on, on, on many of his journeys and sharing the gospel and, and evangelizing different cities. Now, what we see here with Titus is that he wasn't a guy that was just, you know, kind of drafted for this role of collecting this offering from the Corinthian church. He's not a guy that just sort of drew the, the short straw and said, okay, Titus, you're the guy that has to go to Corinth, get the money and go all the way down to Jerusalem with it, you know, sorry, but well, that's the way the chips landed here, right? That's not the deal. In fact, what we read here is that he went of his own accord, verse 17. Titus was a man that went of his own accord. What was motivating him? Well, it tells us there in, in verse 16 that he has the same earnest care for them. Do you see that? He's got an earnest care for them. It wasn't earnest care just for the suffering Jewish believers in Jerusalem, although I'm sure you, you could say that Titus had a real concern and compassion for them, but it was an earnest care for the church at Corinth the ones that were giving the offering. And Titus says, I've got an earnest care for these people. What was that all about? Well, you see, Titus didn't just wanna see them talking about raising funds. 
They were a church that had been collecting this for a while now. They were excited about doing so, but Titus doesn't just wanna see them talk the talk. He wants to see them walk the walk. He wants to see this church now bringing this offering to completion and fruition now in having it ready to be sent to the church at Jerusalem. Because Titus knew now, and here's the earnest care. He's like, guys, I don't want you just to talk about these things. I wanna see you carry this out because I know this is gonna to be to your benefit and blessing as you serve the Lord in this matter, as you carry this to fruition. It's gonna be a blessing to the church in Jerusalem, no doubt about it, but this is going to bless you. And Titus, I believe, had a real care for them to see this church go all the way now in what they had desired to set out to do initially. Now, along with Titus was another unnamed brother that we read in verse 18, and we have sent with him the brother whose praises in the gospel throughout all the churches. Now, this is a brother that's anonymous. We don't know who it is. Many like to speculate as to it. Some suggest it's, it, it could have been Luke, who is another faithful co-laborer with Paul, traveling with him on various journeys. It could be Luke. It could have been a number of other people. We don't know. His identity is less important than the lesson that we learn behind it. Well, what's the lesson that we learn behind it? It's that our work and service for the Lord is not about making a name for ourselves, but rather it's about glorifying the Lord, magnifying Jesus in and through what we do for him. In fact, Paul makes that very clear in verse 19. Do you see what we read there in verse 19? Not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself. See, Paul says, though this might seem like just kind of a, a trivial matter, we're just having to deliver a gift. No, we're gonna administer this to the glory of the Lord himself. Paul knew that everything that he does, everything that we do has a occasion, an opportunity, a possibility of being done to the glory of the Lord himself. Now, we might think of other things that maybe have much more weight to it that we think, well, those are the very high and, and noble tasks to do. Things like sharing the gospel or, or caring for widows and orphans. Oh, those are really, those really get, you know, attention and get noticed. But some of these things we might look at and go, that's just kind of insignificant. But again, we're reminded there are no insignificant tasks that we do for the Lord, because everything that we do has an opportunity to be done for the glory of God. How so? By our, our motives and our attitudes in carrying out those tasks. It, it doesn't matter what you do. In fact, we read in, in Colossians 3, verse 23, but whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The instruction is very clear in God's word. Whatever you're doing, they don't, they don't make lists and say, well, these are the really holy things. These are the things that bring glory to God. No, it's whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Now, we do know, obviously, there's some things that are not gonna bring glory to God because they're, they're sinful things. We're not talking about that. But we're talking about just anything that we do that we can do with a heart that says, Lord, I wanna, I wanna do this unto you. It's not being done unto men. It's not being done for myself. 
It's being done unto you. That means whether it's cleaning toilets in the church, whether it's making coffee, which is a very high calling, let me just say, <laughs> whether it's being on the prayer team, leading a life group, whatever it is, when you set your heart to say, God, I wanna do this for you and for your glory, it becomes an opportunity to glorify God through it. And so I pray that we're those that say, Lord, it doesn't matter what I do because my, my role, my calling as a believer is simply to live this life to your glory. And praise the Lord that whatever I choose to do, whatever you call me to do, I get to bring glory to you and having a heart that says, Lord, I'm doing this unto you. I'm doing it for your praise. It's not about me. It's not about me trying to make myself known. It's about glorifying you, God. And this brother is doing just that. And the churches knew the synonymous brother was a dependable and trustworthy brother. That's what matters. These churches saw that that brother, though he was not named to us, he had a real heart for the gospel because verse 18 says, whose praise is in the gospel. Again, he's not about making a name for himself, but he was about passing on the name of Jesus through the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why he's chosen by these churches now to accompany this group delivering this gift. And Paul is showing just utmost wisdom when it comes to such a delicate thing like finances. Because he's letting these churches select these various delegates that will be a part of the transfer of the money here. There's accountability, there's, there's transparency with this. Paul's not the guy putting together his team. He's not the guy saying, you know what? Uh, you can trust me, I'm gonna do it. I'm not gonna put this burden on anybody else. I'll collect all the funds, I'll deliver it to Jerusalem, but you can trust me, I'm not gonna do anything wrong with this. You can trust me. He's not the guy putting this upon himself. And verse 20 makes it very clear what he's wanting to avoid. Look at what verse 20 says. Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us. He wants to avoid anybody having the opportunity to blame or, or cast accusation on the mishandling of this money. And it's a sad thing today when we see ministries that get dragged through the mud because of a mismanagement of finances or somebody comes in and they're sort of the, the only person, you know, counting the offering and slipping some of it in their own pocket. And, and again, it just presents a real bad scene and a bad name upon the church, not having proper safeguards in place. You, you can have the most godly person collecting the offering and counting it out after a church, but if there's not accountability with other people working alongside you, then you're opening yourself up to blame. And we at Riverside here have, have done our utmost best to always have the safeguards and accountability to where there's not just one person counting the money right? We're not putting that potential accusation on one person. We could have the most trusting person, the most faithful person, but we would not want to put them in that position because it, it opens up the door for somebody to go, oh, wait a second. What's happened here? What's, what's going on? Or, or there seems to be a little bit off in the accounting of this, what happened? And there's not two people that kind of vouch for it or more than that, then at least that person open to vulnerability and accusation. 
Listen to what Warren Wearsby says. He says, it's not enough to say, well, the Lord sees what we're doing. We should make certain that men can see what we are doing. He says, I like the way J.B. Phillips translates verse 21, saying, naturally, we want to avoid the slightest breath of criticism in the distribution of their gifts and to be absolutely above board, not only in the sight of God, but in the eyes of men. See, we are certainly putting ourselves in a dangerous position when we handle these things on our own. And it's not that we're saying we can't trust or we don't trust the person doing it, but we can't always trust those looking on and looking for a reason to blame and criticize. And again, like I said, if someone accuses you of doing something wrong, and if you don't have someone with you, then you have no way of proving your innocence. And Paul has known far too well the accusations from those that come against him with a suspicious and critical eye towards him. Paul's experienced that, and he's not wanting to set himself up in any way when it comes to the management of finances to have anybody else come and place blame upon him or anybody else. And so there's, there's safety now in the numbers and in the people that are being gathered together to carry this out. And notice there's more involved. Look at verse 22. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. So we have another anonymous brother, not named, not important, but here's what we know about him. He was diligent in many things. He's a guy that's got a, a proven track record of being reliable and trust, trustworthy. And Paul vouches for not only Titus, but also for these other companions that are accompanying them. And he says they are the glory of Christ. Isn't that a, a wonderful commendation that should be our aim in everything that we do? To be able to say, oh, this is for the glory of Christ. Our lives are for the glory of Christ. Can people say that about you? They're saying that about these individuals here in how they've, they've conducted themselves, how they've lived their lives very clearly for the Lord. They are the glory of Christ. Can people say that about you? Are you living your life in a manner where you're wanting Jesus to be seen? Where you're wanting to say, it's just all about him. And he encourages the church at Corinth to be faithful in their giving as it'll be evidence of their love. Because he's been boasting about them and sharing of their care for others. So Paul's kind of making this last push for them to finish strong so that his boasting will not be in vain. Look at what we read in, in chapter nine. We'll cover the first five verses of chapter nine here before we wrap up. It says in verse one, now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. It's redundant. But yet, like any good preacher, Paul's just gonna continue on to, to talk about it. He says, for I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready, lest as some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. So Paul didn't want 
to unnecessarily go through this need of, to take up the offering and to talk about it. The folks at Corinth, well, they knew the need and they saw the need already to give. So Paul is simply wanting them to carry out what they had already intended to do. They had every intention to gather this money to send it to Jerusalem, but now it needs to be brought to completion. We've all heard it said that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And we've all been there, right? Not, not hell, not that part, the, the good intentions part, just in case you're, wait a second, have I, what? No, uh, the road to hell is paid with good intentions. And we've all had those desires, right? Where we wanna be diligent in a certain work or activity or ministry. We wanna do well, we're excited about it. We have a zeal towards it. But then actually completing it can be another story altogether, can it? See, the church of Corinth, their intentions to do this good work was not in question. They had every desire to do so. In fact, Paul says that their zeal has been the catalyst for others to get involved. It stirred up, it says, the majority there in verse two. They had a real zeal and excitement. They got, this, they got this ball rolling to where other churches now were hearing about it going, oh, we wanna take part in that. And isn't that so wonderful as the church body that that's what we're called to do? Hebrews 10, 24 says to consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That's what we get to do as we gather together. In fact, that's what that verse goes on to say. So don't, don't forsake the assembling of one another. There's a need and an importance in that as we come together to encourage, to strengthen, support one another, but we get to share with each other. Oh, what the Lord's been doing in our lives, how he's been working through us, how he's been using us. We get to share some of the, the fruit of the ministry and, and in doing so, we get to kind of stir one another up. It's kind of like the, the word being used is we get to provoke one another. It's like for those of you that have had like a, you know, a big brother or maybe a little brother, and, and they can provoke you, right? And they can kind of start to push, and you just, what do you do? You wanna, you wanna push back. That's the idea of provoking. It's like, hey, we're on a missions trip to Mexico. It's pretty awesome, man. So what have you been up to? Oh, missions trip to Mexico, eh? Well, I was out on the streets witnessing. How about you? What have you been up to, you know? And we get, now it's not like, you know, we don't carry this out like we're already getting a rumble here, but we get to stir one another up and share, not in a, in a competitive way, but just in an excited way of what God's been doing, how he's been using us. And this church in Corinth has been having that effect on other people, but they started out with a zeal. And Paul says, I wanna see you guys carry that out now. See, after boasting of their zeal and desire to give, Paul wants to be sure that they're following through and actually carrying out this good work. He doesn't wanna to have to show up now all embarrassed or have them now ashamed that they've not been diligent to have this offering for the Jewish believers all ready to go. Paul doesn't wanna show up and they're all sitting back going, oh, Paul, you're here, all right. Yeah, yeah, we, I know we talked last year about this money. Yeah, I, I think I've got some uh, over here. I'll just check with my wife. I think she's got it tied up somewhere, uh, somewhere else, you know, I'll see where. And, and he doesn't want them to be scrambling now to try to figure it all out. He wants us to be ready to go. So he says in verse five, therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity 
and not as a grudging obligation. So what does Paul do? Sends these brothers ahead of time to encourage these Corinthians in this gift and in the preparation of it so that there'll be no pressure to give or a feeling of manipulation when Paul finally arrives. See, Paul doesn't want anybody giving now out of a kind of sour attitude or, or to be giving in a resentful way. You know, he doesn't want to be showing up and being like, hey guys, where's the gift? And everybody's like, oh, there's Paul again asking for money. All right, how much do you need, Paul? He doesn't want it to be done that way. He, want this, he wants this to be a generous gift. And notice he says that a couple times here in verse five, to prepare your generous gift beforehand that it may be ready as a matter of generosity. Now, biblically speaking, that word generosity has more to do with our attitude in giving than the amount of our giving. Paul's not calling and, and, and wanting to come to them and say, is that all you got? Is that all? Just a 20 spot? I'm, I think you've got some more. I've seen the chariot you're driving. I think you've got a little bit more there. Paul's not doing that. He's not calling for more. Saying, I want this gift to be a matter of generosity, to be from your heart, not grudgingly, but to be done with graciousness, with gladness, with joy. That's what the Lord calls us to as givers. And we're gonna talk about that next week as we pick it up here in verse six. We'll save it for then. But how about you today? As we look at this passage that can seem like just trivial matters of housekeeping, there's some practical applications for us here. Has your zeal for the things of the Lord continued on? Has it decreased or increased in the last couple of years? Have you been more ready to step out and serve the Lord, be faithful with the things the Lord has called you to or put on your heart? I pray that our zeal will be more than good intentions, but would be something that carries out God's work to completion and to fruition. And that fruit may be born not only in our lives through it, but in other people's lives as well. Secondly, has your giving become a grudging affair or has it been a generous one, one of gladness and gratefulness and joy? Again, God doesn't demand us to give because he needs our money or he wants us broke. It says giving is a, again, an opportunity to serve, to serve the church, to be good stewards of what God's given us, recognize that everything that we have has been given to us from the Lord who is a generous giver, a gracious giver. God loves to give and he wants us to enjoy the blessings of being givers as well, just as he is for us. In fact, we'll recall the words of Jesus that were recorded in Acts 20, verse 35. I was shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. See, when we come to the end of our lives, we're gonna be held to account, not on how much we've gotten, but on how we've, been givers in every aspect of our lives, not just financially, but in the things that the Lord has entrusted with us. The talents, the gifts, have we been givers? 
Let's be faithful with what God has given us. He's calling us to steward well what he's entrusted to us. So may we follow this example here today. Let's pray. Would you stand with me and worship team, would you come? Lord, we wanna commit our lives today to being those that are zealous for good works. Lord, not to earn anything, not to receive anything, but because we've already received everything from you. And so, Lord, we want to be continuing with a, a zeal, a fervor to serve you, to make you known, to be examples of you. And, Lord, we thank you for the ways that you provide for us. I pray for those here today that maybe have been struggling financially. God, I pray that they would press in and lean in to you and trust you. And that, Lord, we would be a church of, of faithful givers. Lord, not, not because we, we need to or, or to do so grudgingly, but because it's an opportunity to see you work through that and to provide. And so I pray that you would lead us in these things. May this church manage well and steward well what you've given us. I thank you, God, for the many, many faithful givers here, the way that you provided for this church. But Lord, we know that this is your money and we wanna use it wisely and we wanna use it for your glory. So help us, Lord, to manage it well and to honor you through it. May there be safeguards always. May there be accountability and protection, God. Protect this church from any kind of slander, falsehoods, from any kind of wrongdoing. Protect this church, Lord. May we administer well what you've done here. And so I pray this in your name. Amen.